Pickaxe. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome back to the Review of Death, your fortnightly Doctor Who podcast. We're here with a very special episode today as we're going to be talking to Gavin Collinson and Richard Wilkinson from Doctor Who The Edge of Reality, the new yeah. uh, Doctor Who game that's coming out on the 14th of October. Richard and Gavin, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having hello, us. Hello, hello. Nice to be here. I think the, the best thing to do to kick off, guys, is just if you take it uh, turn by turn. So I'll, I'll ask you first, uh, Richard, and then, and then Gavin. Um, what what are your roles within the uh, within the actual production of Edge of Reality? Um, I wrote the music. Um, I was lucky enough to be able to write the music on the Edge of Time, which was uh, Maze Theory's first foray into the Doctor Who universe, um, which was our VR game, which uh, was very well received and allowed us to do more stuff, including the Lonely Assassins on mobile, which um, seems to have done really well. Uh, and now imminently the edge of reality. So I've been busy finishing off music for that in the last few weeks. Superb. And yourself, Gavin? Um, I wrote The Edge of Time and then wrote Doctor's Lonely Assassins. And I also wrote uh, The Edge of Reality. Like you, I keep, I keep fumbling, stumbling over the title. Okay? <laughs> we were hoping you weren't going to notice no, that. I know. I was like, oh, I'll edit that little. I'll edit that. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually no, probably quite a good place to start, really, because obviously the move from VR with The Edge of Time and into console gaming with Edge of Reality, for, for yourself, Gavin, writing it, did that present any kind of differences? What, it was like, what was it like writing for a VR game versus a kind of a straight console release? Uh, well, in this instance, the, the console release just gave us license to, to expand the universe, which is fabulous. I mean, Doctor Who is, is the kind of story, the kind of myth, legend, clue, what you will, that is so beautifully suited to, to just expansion, to expanding stuff. And I think that's what, what fans like, looking at Genesis of the Daleks and saying, that would be a time, well, what, where does it go from there? And in a way, what the edge of reality does is it embraces everything that the VR experience was in a way which is in universe, you'll see when you play it, but then it, it just takes it to a whole new level. It, it's, it's fabulous because even when we were discussing the original, The Edge of Time, you know, we, we wanted a past doctor, we wanted Spider-Man, there were certain stories I wanted to tell, but we, we just couldn't do it with, within the confines of, of that experience. And so when May said, hey, we're, we're, we're taking it up a level, um, you know, they had me a hello. One thing that, that jumped out from the production of The Age of Time, and certainly was one of the things that really kind of went viral before that game came out, um, Richard, was your uh, variation on the Doctor Who theme. Because um, everybody loved it, and the comments, I'm sure, as you've seen, are full of people saying, why doesn't he do the actual theme for the TV show? One thing that I wanted to know was it's very influenced by the Peter Howell theme. Is there any particular reason for that? Yeah, uh, I, I had a... Um, a cassette tape, uh, one of many references which will age me in this podcast. I had a, a very worn-out cassette tape of TV teams. Um, I had stuff like Bagpuss and The Family Nest and Bertha, which is an absolute banger if, if anyone checks that one out. Uh, <laughs> but it had that particular version of Doctor Who theme um, 
which was, uh, for some reason, it was the one that really stuck in my brain. I know the Dealey Derbyshire one is, you know, amazing. All the variations are, but that's the one that kind of imprinted on me. And I thought if I ever get the chance to do something like that, then that would be the, the sort of bedrock of, you know, where I start from. The thing I really like about that is that it's, it's got such a dynamism and, and such a kind of propelling drive to it without using a single drum. And normally the, the kind of shortcut these days to getting uh, energy and getting epicness in your music is just, just layer drums everywhere. And I think it's um, sometimes that works brilliantly, but in that particular version of the Doctor Who theme, I thought that was great how they got all of the weight and the energy and the momentum from the synths. So that's what I wanted to do with uh, the, the Edge of Time version. And then partly due to the, the fact that that was thankfully really well received, the BBC letters go all out and do a proper version for the Edge of Reality, which is actually in the game and sort of officially sanctioned by the BBC. So yeah, thanks to the fans for that and the BBC. You're very welcome. I'm joking. So it, well, one thing that is probably worth asking as well is just in terms of writing music for something that's Doctor Who related, when you're given that brief, what are the first sort of sounds that come to your mind? Is it the kind of the synths of the, the 80s? Is it the tortured electric, uh, electronic equipment of the 70s or more of the sort of Murray Gold sort of bombastic uh, brass stuff? Well, initially on the edge of time, it was Sagan Akinola's work on, on Jody's first series which was a, a sort of change of direction from Murray's stuff but I, I thought equally brilliant and we wanted a sort of stylistic continuity with the tv series because it was the first it was a, the first vr game i think we we beat the other one they did the sort of more cartoonish one slightly maybe um but we wanted to establish that this was part of that canon which was in terms of cinematography story um, you know, Gavin's writing for it, my music for it. So we, we wanted to not copy Sagan's stuff, but we wanted to do something that was of that ilk. And then the more that the BBC heard and the more that Maze Theory heard, they allowed me to kind of expand a little bit on what I did stylistically. So for this one, I had a bit more of a free reign. And uh, you, I think if you listen to the soundtrack for The Edge of Time, the original VR one, you'll hear stuff that sounds a bit Murray, stuff that sounds a bit Sagan, but you'll also hear some of the the kind of old school stuff, lots of uh, lots of synth work, lots of stuff. Um, when in the olden series, the sort of 60s, 70s stuff, and they didn't use synths all the time, they used these small woodwind ensembles, and you'd have these weird combinations of a, a piano and a saxophone and a flute and some kind of mallet instrument. And there's little nods to that in... The Edge of Time, but I've probably amped that up a little bit in this one. It's It's got a few more classic flavours in it because I felt like, because nobody told me not to do that before, I felt like I had a little bit more free reign to do that. So, yeah, I, I've kind of pulled from every every aspect of the Doctor Who musical world because it's such a rich place to play in. Is that quite a, a daunting task to come in and think, right, let's compose a theme for the Cybermen when there's been so many variations of that theme that have become quite iconic, like with Malcolm Clark, for instance. Mm. Yeah, in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> there, there were some things that came more easily than others. There's a theme for the Cybermen that I've written. There's a theme for the Cyber Reaper, which is, um, I don't want to say too much spoilery stuff there, but the Cyber Reaper is a big part of this story. I'm sure Gavin can expand on that. 
before the NDA police come and attack him. Um, <laughs> I, I had an idea of what those themes should be in, in terms of the weight, the energy, and the the, the emotion that I wanted them to convey. Um, and I felt as though, the, I think there's a tendency sometimes to try and write the the look of something or the physicality of something. And with Cybermen, that, that might feel like you should go for big, brushy, metallic stuff and drums. But if there's a Cyberman or, or a whole army of them on screen, you're going to hear big, brash, metallic sounds because that's how they move. So I think another way of, of kind of writing it and finding the music is to look for the spaces and to figure out what might fit in sync with what's going on with the sound world. So I sort of took a slightly different approach from that and went a, a little bit more melodic, probably a little bit more of, of the kind of thing Murray did. Um, so there, there's some stuff where I was informed by what would be on screen and what it would sound like. And then other stuff like I've written a theme for the doctor, which I did for the edge of time. And that probably took a week um, to come together when I kept coming back and picking things apart and thinking, does that sound too much like what Sagan's done for Jody? Does that sound too triumphant? Does it sound too mysterious? I think that's one of my strengths is writing themes, but I found it really, really difficult because of the weight of expectation to do my, my doctor's theme. Um, but I'm, I'm really happy with it, but, uh, yes, it was, tough to write stuff knowing that there's this huge musical canon that you have to respect and there's also a weight of expectation to kind of do something a little bit new with it at the same time but um yeah it's nice to have the challenge so i enjoyed it the other thing i want to ask richard about about writing the the theme specifically i suppose is when you're handed yeah. that mantle in much the same way as you know you've got to do the theme for the doctor or the theme for the cybermen is there a real temptation to kind of reinvent the wheel with it? Or, you know, how, how strictly do you want to keep yourself sort of within those boundaries of, of what's come before? And, and, you know, are you worried that there's sort of a looking over the shoulder thing of well, if the middle eight isn't in there, it's not the Doctor Who theme, you know, all that kind of stuff? The middle eight was my favourite bit, actually. I, fid I fiddled about with the harmonies and uh, I enjoyed that immensely. Um, that's a really good question. I I've, I've been really lucky that I've worked on a few sort of franchise IP things. I'm currently just taking a break from working on the Peaky Blinders VR game. Um, I did a Narcos game as well, obviously Doctor Who. They're big, sort of quite stylistically, um, they've got big stylistic cues and people expect to sort of see something that looks a certain way and, and hear something that sounds a certain way. And... You could, you could be sort of forgiven for thinking this might be an opportunity to put a completely original stamp on it and say, let's do something crazy in left field because I really think this sound's going to suit it. And then the absolute opposite end of the scale is just absorb the TV soundtracks and try and make something that just sounds like it's the next 20 tracks on that soundtrack and fits in perfectly. And really, if, if, if that's the scale, then that is just going completely nuts and, you know, doing reverse kazoos and, and roadkill noises. And that is exactly like the, the existing score. Somewhere around sort of here, so about a third of the way in, is the sweet spot. Because if you're doing this, it's all about ego. You're not going to, you know, service the thing 
in a way that makes sense with the whole, the team's going to be pissed off because you're, you know, trying to make it all about you. And here, I think, is a missed opportunity because with Doctor Who, it's such a rich, varied series. There's so much that goes on. I'm sure Gavin's had the same experience with writing it. He just doesn't, you don't want to, you know, write an existing episode and just copy replace the names. He wants to make it feel and uh, look and sound like Doctor Who, which he absolutely has, but put his own stamp on it and tell a new story. And it's the same thing with the music. So that's a really good question, but I think it's it's a bit of both. But you have to be aware that you're doing something which has a heritage and it, and it has an expectation. And you have to sort of honour that before you bring the ego into it. Cool. Gavin, my first question to you would be, how the hell do you even write a video game? <laughs> and how different would that be, you know, writing a script for like, you know, a, a straight TV or, or, or a movie? Before I answer that, can I just say, Victor's been very modest. I only found out recently how he came to write some of the Edge of Reality soundtrack. You were saying, Richard, about how you did that, which blows my mind. So I'll answer your question, but go back to that man and just find out how he wrote it. It's, it, it, He's annoyingly talented. I've said it before. He really gets on my nerves. I'm appearing on no That's more podcasts with this guy. Um. <laughs> yeah, but because of the nature of, of game development, uh, is a bit topsy-turvy, and sometimes you'll, very early on, you'll have a playable scene, you'll be able to plot out where everything happens. Um, quite often that doesn't happen until very, very late. In fact, I'm seeing, I'm not able to play the game because, because of various reasons, um, it, it just wasn't sort of, it didn't make sense to give me the kit and give me the regular builds and stuff because that would take focus away from polishing it and stuff. So I've been experiencing the game mostly in uh, a QA guy doing like video captures of it and sending it to me so I can tell them to you know, move stuff around and turn that up a bit. Um, but I only started getting those captures in, in the last few months. So in the lead up to the recording session we did it, at Air Studios in London last December, um, I had to get all the music ready for that, for the orchestra to play it, but I didn't have a build wow. to play. So I had to do everything based on Gavin's script. Um, so I was very lucky that the script was so good because I'd got the, the PDFs and I just copied all the dialogue into my logic sessions and then recorded it. I didn't do the voices, but I sort of spaced it out based on how I, I thought um, Jody and David and, and everyone else would, you know, read the lines and wrote music just to that, hoping that it would match what eventually came out. And, it, you know, apart from a little bit of, of massaging of parts and, and tweaking stuff, it, it laid on there perfectly and, and timed really nicely. So, um, yeah. That blew my mind when you did that, because when I hear your music, it's so, it's so good. I think you're like Hans Zimmer in Thanks for the Future. You were like, you know, constant access to the director and everything that you need. And just to be able to do it like that is, um, yeah, very fit doctor, yeah. So. <laughs> Something that I, I really wanted to know from a technical standpoint, Richard, is, is how do you actually go about writing music for a video game? Because surely you've got to have segments where the player might be idle or just, uh, if my girlfriend's anything like most gamers, she just stares at everything, yeah. you know, and investigates every small little <laughs> pixel in a room. So obviously you've got to have a bed of music sort of bubbling away in the background. Like how does that actually work on a technical standpoint? It's a good question. Uh, with, without wanting to make this sound like an ad for my, 
very exceptionally modest YouTube channel. <laughs> um, I've, I did a bit of a, a behind-the-scenes thing on the Doctor Who, The Edge of Time, and I did one on uh, a game I did called Narcos, Rise of the Cartels. Um, both of those use different uh, music systems. There's one called F-Mod, one called uh, WYs, and they basically sort of absorb all of the music that the composer's written, and you feed it loads of different bits of logic, and you say, if, if this happens... Or if this doesn't happen, continue looping this little bit of music. All right. If the player starts to get closer to the door, continue looping the music and then bring this extra little stem, which might be a sort of a layer of unease. Bring that up a little bit. Um, in fact, there's, there's uh, I don't know if they've implemented it yet, but there's uh, right at the beginning of the game, you're in the laundrette and you approach the washing machines and there's something unpleasant there. So that's one of the very early things I did was I wrote a layer of um, this is the base loop of when you're in the area. And if you get closer to the washing machines and the threat is closer to you, then this second layer of music starts to rise up. And then if you move away, it will fall, it will fall away. But there's loads of technical things like that that you can do. And, and it depends on resources. If you've got access and the budget to use some of these lovely bits of software, then you've got more options. And if you haven't, you have to be a bit more creative about how you approach these things. But um, you're absolutely right. You have to write the music in a way that makes it sound like um, your specific journey through the game is the only journey that the person wrote music for. And, and everything should sound perfectly bespoke. And like you're the hero of your own story, whether you're spending half an hour just staring at a door handle or whether you're absolutely zipping through the level at 100 miles an hour. So it's a, yeah, it's an interesting problem to solve that. That, I, I, that was, I really, mm. that really wanted to know, like, because I always thought it was a player walks over a trigger. Yes. And then, you know, it's almost like a kind of a, a jukebox. Track two starts playing yeah, yeah. or whatever. But that is far more sort of a technical complex mm. system than I considered it to be actually it's really interesting well, sometimes it's sometimes it's exactly that sometimes it's literally you pass the threshold and you, you change to a different a different track or you switch the track off or whatever maybe with a little fade out but it, it all depends on resources really and and what the game needs can i ask, can I ask a question Richard, how to me it seems quite unusual that you got an, an orchestra to do this um that isn't always the case is it how did that come to be it's partly due to what we did on the edge of time. Um, mm. I so on the edge of time. Um, I asked if we had any room in the budget um, to record an orchestra remotely. So I, I like this. I did it through Zoom um, and recorded an orchestra in Macedonia, uh, who were fantastic. They they kind of have a setup where they do a lot of this kind of stuff. They do music for, for films and games you send them the parts and then you sort of chat with the conductor and tell them to do another take and all of that kind of stuff and do it all remotely. So I, I said, do we have any budget to do this? And the response was, um, uh, I think it was mainly just laughter. <laughs> so I ended up paying pretty much out of my own pocket to do these remote Eastern European recording sessions for the edge of time because, mm. because it was Doctor Who and I, I I think if it was any other game, even if it was something with the sort of prestige of that IP, I would have had my business hat on and I would have thought, 
I'm, I'm almost going to be losing money on this job if I mm. spend loads of money on a recording session. But I felt like it was the it was the job where I could go all out and do that. Um, and that allowed us to get this version of the theme that was so well received on YouTube. It allowed the music to really, you know, shine a bit, a bit brighter and people really seemed to respond to that. Um, and we got some lovely footage to promote the game and promote the soundtrack as well. And because we did all of that stuff, it's a lot easier to have the conversations with the edge of reality to say, look, can I do a version of the theme and actually have it in the game and do it properly? Can we do an orchestra and do it properly? Um, mm. And if we, if we didn't have all of that ammo and I hadn't made those sacrifices, I don't think they would have been as receptive. But right. because they saw what that stuff can bring to a project, they, um, yeah, thankfully managed to find some money in the budget and let us do it. But I had, funnily enough, you mentioned Hans Zimmer. I had to wait for him to bugger off because <laughs> we were trying to book sessions in, I think I wanted to do the session in November and I kept getting bounced back and I kept saying, I'm sorry, it's, it's really busy. We're trying to squeeze you in because I only needed a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I found out later that Hans Zimmer had been like camped in there for six weeks doing James Bond. <laughs> Cool. So, Amazing. yes. Thank you to Mr. Zimmer. He eventually buggered off and we got to do um, uh, a lovely session, which we'll, we'll put a load of footage on mm. um, on Twitter and beyond, I'm sure, in the next few weeks. I look forward to that. That's really cool. To answer your question, I think, um, I mean, I've been a fan of, of, of Doctor Who all my life, like you guys, and um, it's something I've enjoyed um, just on, on every level. And so to be able to go to that and, and say, okay, what do I enjoy? What the fans, what do the fans enjoy? And trying to give them some of that, but something more. That sounds like a terribly obvious answer, but that, that's all I've tried to do. And I think what's important, as Richard alluded, isn't that we're just here to, to put more words into the world, as, as Alan Bennett said. There's always that problem with writing that that's all you're doing. Um, and so, for example, we've got the 10th Doctor back, but he, he's not there just, just because he's charismatic and warm and we all love him and... We don't, yes, he, he's, he's whizzing about shouting Alan Zine, we've got all that. But we also take his story forward in a way which I, I was pleasantly surprised that the BBC allowed us to do. We really move his story forward. We revisit um, an element of his time, of his era, and, and twist that a little and, and see where he could have gone. And then we even twist that further. And so it, it's, about, it's about doing all the stuff we love and all the stuff we want to do in the Doctor Who game. Um, so, for example, you know, we want to fly the TARDIS, we want to go in the TARDIS, and we want that sense of amazement that we're used to what the Doctor's time machine is now. But, my God, it's a box that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. It's a box that can take you anywhere in time and space. And there is a sense of, uh, of wonder about all of that. And, and what we, we, try to, we try to instill that in the games. That, so there's nothing cynical or there's nothing... Yes, it's just, it's a monster of the week. You know, we absolutely relish that. And when we started this, um, this trilogy, we like, at the very beginning, you know, we talked about Unearthly Child and what that must have been like. And we tried to get all that in. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but that, that gives you a little flavour of, of how I came to approach writing this. Um, but in terms of writing it, writing a game and how that differs from, from TV or a book or anything like that, um, it's it's more collaborative, uh, and you do get to a certain point in, in when I'm writing the script that says gameplay, and then I leave that to, to devs, etc. Um, 
but it's also more collaborative than I think people will realise in terms of uh, some of the early locations, um, like the, the laundrette and the spaceship, for example. Those were given to me. Those, those are beats that I had to hit. And so, which is absolutely fine. That, that, in a way, that's good because it, it focuses the mind. Um, but apart from that, it, it, it's, it's very similar in terms of writing the dialogue, where you want the story to go, um, wanting to surprise people at the end of the first act, etc. It, it, it's all there. And hopefully, hopefully, we, we deliver on that um, with the with latest game. Because you mentioned obviously being a fan for both of you, um, what was your sort of first experience of the world of Doctor Who? I I think I started taking Doctor Who in sort of semi subconsciously because my uh, I know my mum always used to have it on in the background when she did the ironing when I was about two. Um, so I would I would be watching the repeats. I think they're on BBC Two. Um, so I pr- I was probably conscious of it when they were up to um, the Sylvester McCoy stuff. And then I uh, just got deeper and deeper into it and watched it a lot and spent all of my pocket money on it and stuff like that. And um, went to, remember, I, I went to Manchester, I went to Aflex Palace, which I, I don't know if that's still existing, but it was where um, all the kind of boho left field people went and there was all sorts of crazy shops and stuff in there and loads of posters uh, adorned the the sort of hallway to get in and one of them advertised this Doctor Who convention and I remember thinking is that is that too far for me and it turned out it wasn't too far and uh, it was great and I met and I've, I've the one thing I've prepped is a visual aid but this is me aged nine I think Yes. Oh, amazing. What a photograph. <laughs> in, in Bessie with a Cyberman and my favourite doctor, John Pertwee. Um, the jealousy, if you can't was... feel it radiating <laughs> over Zoom right now, Richard, it's palpable. It, yeah, he was an absolute gent. Um, and I, uh, fast forward many, many years, I, I remember writing an email to, I can't remember who it was, it was one of the producers at the BBC, um, uh, about 18 months and actually it was more i think it might have been about six months before they announced the the relaunch of it with um with russell t davis because i've been watching a load of stuff um of the old series and i just thought this is just right for bringing back why don't they do it and i sent an email to someone at the bbc and their response and i don't know if i'm just reading too much into this but i feel like they knew at the time because it was it was something like there are there are lots of fans at the bbc and we are constantly exploring options. It was sort of open-ended, but I thought, oh, maybe something's going to happen. And then, yeah, 2005, I just carried on watching it and I'm still to this day a fan. Superb. It sounds like a bit of an Alan Yentop, doesn't it? Yeah. You may well think that, but I couldn't possibly comment. Sort of <laughs> Interesting. And yeah. Gavin, yourself, because I, I, one thing I wanted to ask you is, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've got quite a history with Doctor Who prior to working with with Maze Theory on, on these games. Yeah, it makes me sound like a seasoned criminal. It's <laughs> not quite a history, yeah. It's true. Uh, so much so, in fact, in the, the photo that Richard showed, I was actually the side of the men I was dressed up. You couldn't see me. Oh, really? Oh, right, okay. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, um, yeah, like Richard, I, I mean, I've been, I've been a, a fan all my life. I, I'm from Blackpool, and when I was growing up, the exhibition was still on. And um, one of my relatives was, was a cleaner there. 
And so uh, basically it could get me in free. So I, I literally went to that most school days um, after school. I used to go there. And I, I was that obsessed. Um, and then uh, fast forward many years, I, I was involved in, um, yeah, I was involved in some kind of fandom things. But then when the show came back uh, in 2005 season, I was involved in that. On, on a very small level in terms of the DVDs, et cetera, and doing those. And then I became a content producer uh, towards the end of the David Tennant era, which was just a dream. So that meant I was doing a lot of behind-the-scenes content, the online stuff, the social media. Um, and I remember uh, the first time I was interviewing Russell and David Tennant, Russell T. Davis and David Tennant together, along with Julie Gardner um, and a few other people that day. But... Um, it suddenly struck me that, that they were my heroes. And there's that thing of, I, I hope they're as good as I want them to be. What, what, what happens? I mean, I've, I've worked on some shows where people can be quite dismissive of the show, actually. And it's really awful. And anyway, so I'm on the TARDIS set waiting to interview Russell and David. And they meet. And I think, oh, what are they going to talk about? Please be lovely about the show. And within a moment, they're making in-jokes about the horns of Naimon and then talking <laughs> about season 17. And, and I felt, I'm home. <laughs> you know, this is it. Um, and so that was my story. And so I stayed on then um, for many years doing that role and doing various things. Uh, and I left around the time that Jodie uh, arrived um, just, just so I could go freelance, just so I could do other things. But yeah. There was there was one thing I I, I did find on, on the internet, Gavin. And c- correct me if I'm wrong, but there is something on there about you being a doctor in a festive special. Is that right? Oh, yeah. That's my, that's my... Normally, I only say that anecdote after I've had about half a dozen cocktails. But... <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're drunk, <laughs> but that's fine. <laughs> I, I was working, and, and Steph, who was one of the producers, was, was coming through the office, and he was, he, was, he was looking at people's hands in a way that you kind of get used to on the show, like doctors. I, I don't know where to check out my hands. Um, and to cut a long story short, they needed they needed to do a hand shot of, of the doctor, um, and he he started asking me if that was okay. And, and I think before he just said two syllables, I, I was I was virtually I was virtually in costume. Um, and so they, what was so nice about it was um, that it was it was for the husbands of River Song that they they took me down to the back lot and and, and we, we filmed this thing with the. Where I caught I caught the the gem and yes so I am I played the doctor for a brief moment the doctor was me um, to coin the phrase but what's so nice and I think this is an insight in, into the people that make the show is they knew I was a huge fan and often when you get a special guest who is um, of, of a certain standing when they finish their stuff if they're not going to be out for the rap party or whatever the director or someone will say. And can we have a big, you know, can we show appreciation for Michelle Gomez or, or whatever it might be? And it's just a convention that, it, as I say, and when I finished that, Seth, one of the line producers, said, can we hold on? Gomez's been working on this show for many years. He works on Christmas Day because of it. He's been a fan all his life. And now he's got to play the doctor. And the director and all the cast and crew came around and applauded. And I, I just think, how that really made my day. And they didn't need to do that, but it's just indicative of the kind of people that, that make our show, and isn't that lovely? It's, it's so oh, lovely. I, I think people really lose track of that human element of working yeah. on a show like that, yeah. because yeah. 
to, to fans, it's a monolith, isn't it? And, yeah. and it seems like an impenetrable yeah. sort of thing. But we always hear there's a family, mm. there's a really warm atmosphere there. Mm. So it's really nice to hear that that is the case and that you've got to... I mean, we've got our first canonical doctor yeah, on that's the podcast right. <laughs> our first episode. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, that, that, it's absolutely lovely. And the, the one thing I miss about working on the show is, is the day-to-day interaction with those guys. But, uh, the only other thing I, I think we, we should ask is obviously relating to the game. Um, what what things should we be looking out for from a, from a, a writing or story perspective, from a visual perspective, and obviously from a, from a musical perspective? You should be looking out for the Weeping Angels. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely, over our shoulders. Yeah, those are your side. You should be, if uh, you have played The Lonely Assassins, the mobile game uh, that May's made in, in partnership with Kaigen Games, uh, pay close attention in the laundrette because there is a bit of crossover with the story. It's all part of a wider story, um, not to the point of being exclusionist if you haven't played one and you're only playing one of these games, but it's... It's a satisfyingly broader narrative if you play both of them. Um, but through the whole game, there's there's a lot of... It's chock full of references and it's chock full of, uh, of Easter eggs and things that people who know the show will will get and, and smile at and appreciate and enjoy, I think. Um, yeah, what do you think, Gavin? Yeah, I mean, I think... it. it the visuals and the music are amazing. I wasn't event on Saturday, and that's, that's what people were talking about. Just, just the scene clips of it, and I, I think it's um, it's an absolute visual and Harold tree. It really is. Uh, in terms of the narrative, um, I just hope it surprises people and they enjoy it because it, it does go places that I was, as I say, I was surprised we were allowed to go there, and it does move things forward. Uh, it, it, it doesn't break anything. Um, but it does it in such a way that I hope people, um, just, yeah, again, it's, it sounds like I'm saying the bar low. I really hope people enjoy it. I really hope people enjoy it because it's, um, you know, it, 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 it's something that a lot of people put their soul into. So, yeah. This plot point that Gavin keeps obliquely hinting at, the Doctor regenerates into a squirrel halfway through. No. <laughs> I'm not supposed to say that, so release this after the game. Wow, that's, some... That might actually be slightly less controversial than the Timeless Children as well, so it'd be interesting to see the reaction to that. Yeah, we, we submitted that idea. We said, hey, how about that? And they said, mm, sorry, <laughs> too much. With this, I guess it's sort of like an expansion, isn't it, really, from what you mm. did with The um, Edge of Time, uh, moving forward, if there was uh, endless budget, what would you love to write for, like monster-wise, additional Doctors? What would be your, uh, your your golden goose to have in a in a Doctor Who game? You're asking a fan, so I I can have all I, I somehow resurrect William Hartnell and have him back. I I have all the Doctors. I love that. Uh, as long as we could find a story for them, there there are um, there's some stories I would love to tell. Um, that are question our relationship with, with, with the fiction of Doctor Who. Uh, oh, that sounds so pretentious. It will be fun, believe me. Um, but yeah, there's, there's lots more I would like to do. And um, I guess like everybody, I'm, I'm just looking forward to seeing where the show goes from here, uh, both in terms of the next season with the flux and then um, 
I believe someone called Russell T. Davis or something is coming back. Something yeah. Like that, yeah. yeah, great. But, but, but what's he ever done? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I'm just looking forward to seeing where, where, where it goes from there and, and what we could do to maybe do something alongside that that will be, that will be great. But yeah, we've already discussed um, some kind of darker ideas um, that, that we could play around with. Um, so fingers crossed. It, it, it goes down and get the opportunity. What would you guys like to see in a, in a Doctor Who game? Oh, my word. I mean, yeah. Uh, I, I've always wanted to see a bit of a kind of a character creation vibe. So, like, you know, if, you know, say it's an open world sandbox, like a bit of a No Man's Sky sort of thing. You're out there in the cosmos, maybe not even playing the Doctor, just a Time Lord. But when you die, mm-hmm. you can't go back a save. That is your new kind of incarnation your new character you get a different set of skills you know and it's all randomized you know as we know regeneration is a bit of a lottery but one thing that i always wanted to see and i was so pleased that it was in the edge of time and now in the edge of reality is being a dalek yeah how and and obviously you know the tardis and going into through the doors and operating it and stuff but being inside a dalek i mean that's always been sort of top of the list for me yeah i think that's it isn't it because doctor who isn't really a franchise that really allows itself to be shooting things and blowing stuff up too much. Yeah. But I think getting the opportunity to be a Dalek, you can sort of skip around that. So that works really well. Yeah, I, I would ask that, actually, Gavin, was, was that a prerequisite for, for, the, for the first game? Was there always going to be a sort of a mission in a Dalek or was that something you put in yourself? It was almost accepted, of course we're going to do that. If, if, if you're doing this game, then of course. And I don't think there are any raised eyebrows. Uh, I genuinely don't remember when it came into it, but... I remember writing it and um, the one thing that, that could, not problems, but that I said, look, we, 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 the play can't take any lives. That was something, this has to be the boss of Doctor Who. Um, I know there are some early games where, you know, the Doctor's wielding guns and people are dropping a fancy. Um, and I know we're stuck, I know all in a document, but, but generally it's not something that's done. Um, and so it, it was literally, get, how do we get around that? And so we had to stress. And I know <laughs> some people who were maybe Doctor Who fans that were hearing about what we're doing, they were like, why are we going to all this, why are we going to all these lengths to, to demonstrate that the player is not killing anyone, the doctor's not killing anyone? And then everyone was like, are you insane? We have to stress this. We have to stress this. This is like, you know, so that was the only thing. So, you know, doing an Ian Chesterton and getting into that Dominic or Star or whatever, that was, yeah, that, I think that's somewhere in, in second clause in my contract that we have to have that. Yeah, was, that was never going to get away, so that was good, yeah. Dalek Attack, that was my Doctor Who video game growing up. And Dalek it was impossible Attack to play. On, on floppy disk. Yeah. That's, that's the way... That's the way... Oh, I had that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great fun. Impossible, so hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was talking to someone about the games recently. And this guy would say, oh, they're so much better than that. Do you remember the rubbish adventure games the BBC did? And I was thinking, yeah, I helped make them. They were great. <laughs> the adventure games are great. They were great. <laughs> yeah, well, I, like, I, thought they were, I thought they were good. But uh, yeah. That it, sounds like one funny. wayward individual yeah. who had a bad experience. Because every, <laughs> every Doctor Who fan loves Love those, those games. games. Loves them. I hope so. I hope so. They were, um, yeah, they were, they were fun to do back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that they're popular because people can't get them yeah, anymore. Yeah, this is it. And so and people big... are torrenting them yeah. and putting them on websites to download through illicit wow. means. Mm-hmm. So people... Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's good to know. yeah. 
It, is, it was brilliant. Like the yeah, excitement. Yeah. Oh my god! Like there's going to be a Doctor Who game with the Daleks yeah. in it and the new Doctor. Like my and it was free, wasn't it? It yeah. was. You know, it was fantastic. And the last one, the gunpowder plot, was was huge. I don't even remember. It was yeah. just like sprawling, and there was so much in it. And there's some times I remember. Um, and I, I've still got the T-shirt that's the gunpowder plot T-shirt with all the plotters, and we put a Sontaran in there, kind of like you know. As, as if, I don't know, rewriting history slightly, and it was all that full of bunker stuff like that. Oh. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad that you liked them because I was like, I, I was like, <laughs> I was slightly hurt when this guy was like, "Yeah, they were rubbish, weren't they?" And I was like, ah. they're, "They're brilliant." And but, the fact yeah. as well, and, and I really love seeing people because I, you know, I don't have VR and haven't been able mm. to play um, Edge of Reality, but like. There's a title sequence. Yeah, it's sort yeah, of like yeah. with a with a Bond video game. You have to have the gun barrel, pre-credits, and yeah. original title sequence. And it's like obviously with the Doctor Who game, you have yeah, to have yeah. the you know the title sequence and the logo and the theme music and all that. So it was nice how it tied it all in with the series very very nicely. You know, I mean, it felt like an episode. It yeah. felt like you were in the episode, which was amazing. Mm. That's exactly what anyone wants from a Doctor Who game. Is exactly. they want to be in Doctor Who. Mm. Yeah, as I said, I just hope, like Richard, I just hope that they do well and there's more and. I'd like to do more of the phone games as well. That would be, I think, there's some really interesting things we could explore then. And we did a, a website that accompanied that. And within that, and a little bit within the game, we, we brought a couple of characters from uh, Sarah Jane Adventures. And people love that. And so I'd, I'd really like to, to explore that more and bring in some, some of the old characters and get them back and, and do stuff with them that might be quite fun. So. As I say, fingers crossed we can do that at some point. I, I, I can't take all of the, it would be nice to do this. Like, Russell's coming back. We've got, how, how long have we got to wait for all this stuff? I'm going mad sitting here. Like, <laughs> it's all, um, we've still got Doctor Who it, to come this year as well. Yeah. I know, yeah, and it, it, it's almost upon us, which I'm really looking forward to. Like, you know, so it's, um, yeah. And I'm really interested to see what Russell, because not just with Doctor Who, but he's talked about one thing, when he says Empire, that makes it sound very grand, but like, other spin-offs and, yeah. other sh- and, and taking it different, and it's like, oh my god, that would be just fabulous if he could do that. Like, you know, I'm really looking forward to see where he takes the show and, and, and what he does with the with, with the with the brand. Like, you know, I think that'd be great. Well, Sony, you've got their fingers in it now, so who knows what's going to happen with their yeah. influence? I think if a Doctor Who movie was ever going to happen, that's probably, probably set up for yeah, it, isn't it? Yeah. Like, that feels like that might be a mm. a nice thing for them to have a conversation about. Because when we were saying before, like. It only really makes sense for me. I don't know if you guys agree, but with the Doctor Who movie, that it kind of has to follow on from the TV series. But then yeah. for a wider audience, you know, in, in in the states who maybe aren't keeping up with it, sort of week to week, that might be trickier. You know, to I mean, I think we just need to look at something like Luther. You know, Luther's mm. run for however many series, five series, and now they've announced, yeah. oh, now we're doing a Luther film. And I think Peaky Blinders is also the same. You know, mm. they've had so many series, and now they're doing a film. So I think yeah. so long as you have that original cast, but I guess Doctor Who, you know, every week is a new story. Mm. So long as you can put it out there as something that is accessible for new people, yeah. but, you know, your fans are going to watch it and go, oh, okay, so this is another adventure, but it's just bigger Tom than Cruise anything that we Who. can see. <laughs> yeah, it's bigger than anything we'll see on, on TV. Yeah, That's the balance. That's the really tricky thing. If you're going to do a Doctor Who film, it is to find something that, that moves the story forward and, and fits in with the canon of a show, which is perhaps more than any other show in history, sort of littered with this self-referential quality and law and, and baggage and all of that stuff. 
but make it accessible and, and ideally a jumping on point for loads of people who haven't seen it before. So you, you've got to try and make a film that you don't have to watch to get the continuity of the series, but you don't have to have watched the series to you know, right, yeah. jump on from it and feel like you're not missing anything. So from, uh, I mean, that must be a fascinating sort of quandary as a writer. If it happens, you know, whoever produces it and writes it, it's going to be a really interesting problem to solve. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they did that in the next few years. I, I wouldn't mind having a completely different doctrine, a different setup in, in the film. Um, does, does that sound like heresy to suggest that? Oh, I mean, I don't know. I, I just always saw <laughs> it as being... I, I always thought... If they're going to do a movie, it would have been off telly for a while, so mm. you don't cross wires right. with the continuity yeah. and, and, and ideas, maybe. Um, yeah. But maybe it does just make more sense that you just go, well, this is a... I mean, the audiences are very accepting these days of multiverses. Of multiversal stuff, yeah. And, you know, yeah, other yeah, sort of... Yeah. So maybe... Just, it, just don't say which number it is. Yeah, exactly. That's it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, have a bit of mystery. We're going to have, like, three... Three different Batman next year, so I mean, you know, what's the difference of having just two different Doctor Who's? Nuts. But I, I, I love the Cushing. I love the Cushing movies. The Cushing film. And without any sense of irony, I, I genuinely, you know, especially the second one. I know a lot of people have the the diversity of the first one, but the second one, I, I, I think is is a, a genuinely good film, and I think it's quite scary where there's two old hags that like turn out to be working for the Daleks and stuff like that. And I think Cushing is so charming, um, and it's funny that that. We, we kind of just accept him as a version of the Doctor. Um, but at that point, we, we, we didn't have the regeneration thing, and it was just, oh, oh, oh this is the Doctor, this is the version we're, we're being given here, that's fine. And so I think, not to go that far, but if, if, if the film was around, then um, yeah, I, I quite like to see a, a, a crazy, never-before-seen Doctor. I think I, I'm, I'm just, I can't get over the fact that people like the second movie more than the first. I, I, yeah, I every, everybody, one. everybody I know says that they prefer the, the, sec- the second, one, the second yeah. movie, and I'm like, wow, I, 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 really, I, I feel like I'm in a, a minority yeah, in that, and I, I don't tend to be with Doctor Who opinions, so I, it's a bit weird. <laughs> Which is the one with Roy Castle in it? That's the first one. Okay, because that's the I haven't seen. I've seen bits of the second, but I've, I've, I must have had that one on on VHS because I've watched that one loads. I like the first one. Yeah, and it's great music. The, the funnily enough, when I. When, when I'm writing, I listen to the soundtrack to those two movies. That's great. Just so Amazing. Not to, just so I'm not trying to recreate the TV show. It's, it's, oh, it's right. That's very clever. But, but just a little bit different. And so, um, yeah, that, I always, and then, yeah, I think the music shows is fantastic. Tell us a little bit about this, this Cyber Reaper, Gavin, because we've seen a lot of photographs of it. I, it, it looks awesome. This is the, the one with the fusion of all the different all the bits and pieces types of, all of Cybermen. different Cybermen. And, I mean, obviously, seeing that as a fan, you go, yes, please. Um, so, uh, you know, can you tell us much about that or would you rather leave that up to, uh, to people to experience? No, well, I, I can say that it, it, and it was actually May's theory's idea to have an enemy which was seemingly unstoppable, that was just relentless. And so they said, you know, what can you come up with? And so I, I gave a little spin on, on, on various marks of Simon that we've seen so far and came up with this. Uh, and I know someone on, on your Twitter feed was saying, oh, is, is, why, why is, is it kind of a mashup of various old Spider-Men? And that is very deliberate. That has to be there. Uh, so I won't go into the kind of backstory or what it is and what you think it is and what it eventually turns out to be. But 
there, there's a nice art there. Um, I mean, Richard could possibly, you've seen the script, Richard can possibly say more than I can, because maybe I'm too close to it. But uh, I hope people enjoy the camp. Richard, what did you think? I, um, I don't want to say too much because uh, I think it's nice to discover these things as you play the game. And, and I think the Cyber Reaper is, is quite a big part of the story. So I wouldn't want to say too much. Um, I think relentless is a perfect word. It's uh, you, When it's there, you know it's there. Um, and you don't want to be uh, next to it for too long. Um, but... Yeah, I think I'll leave that one for, for people to play the game and, and find the story. I mean, it looks cool as hell. Um, and there's a reason why it looks like that. As Gavin said, there's there's a reason why the Cyber Reaper is there and um, is pursuing you in such a relentless way. But people will just have to buy the game, play the game and find out, I'm afraid. I think we might turn to a couple of Twitter questions now, okay. if that's all right with you guys. Um, one that's come from at Video Runaway, Gavin. Um, I was going to ask this anyway, but how was it writing a multi-doctor story? You've got two doctors, you've got two very distinct voices you're working with. H- how did you find that experience? Oh, it, it was it, joyful because we got, we, we got to tell a story that as a fan and as a writer, I was really intrigued by it. Uh, and it's it's taking things that have happened in the Doctor's past. And because we've got something called the reality virus, so that, that changes things as we know them, we could legitimately do that and say, what, what if, if this hadn't happened, but this had happened? And we get to explore a story with the 10th Doctor. And so a little bit like I said before, it wasn't just a question of, you know, pick a Doctor, any Doctor. It was, it, it was a story. I was, and it was just great to be able to tell that story. Um, and it was lovely working with, I mean, Jodie's Jody's always great. She brings so much energy. She's always so into the stories. She's just lovely. Um, and then working with David, um, I mean, he could read the telephone directly and make it sound great. You know what I mean? So it, it's, it's lovely. It makes my words sound like, you know, miles better than you've got the right to. Uh, and his questions about some places where we took the box was great. Um, and, and, and again, that was collaborative, getting the work that we did in the end. And so... Um, it, it was it was just fabulous, and you know, it would be lovely to work with with more former doctors in the future because uh, it was it was really it was great fun. Great. I, I have to say, a lot of the questions that people had, we've actually kind of covered yeah. here, which is really useful. But there is one here, and it might be a good one to end on. It's from at Matthew W one nine one, and it's if you guys know or would like to clue us in, what's next for May's theory and Doctor Who, and will we be getting more Doctor Who games in the future? As far as you're aware, um, I I honestly don't know, and, and I think May's theory don't know, and a lot of that is dependent on. Um, on the, the next few months and, and how, you know, how, how the game is perceived. We, I know when they were working on the edge of time, uh, this question kept knocking about, you know, it, people had so many ideas about what they'd like to do next and what they'd like to explore and where they could take the story. Um, and I was looking at some of the reviews of that game and, and the footage that people were putting up at YouTube and looking at the comments, you know, <laughs> as, as protecting myself as I could in case people said horrible things uh, and for the most part people said really nice things and one of the things that most of the, the questions were centred on is I love the look of this I can't afford a VR set or I don't have a VR set 
or I don't imagine playing many other games in VR, can you please do this for, for flat screen for other platforms? Um, and I didn't expect that that would happen, but it turns out that, you know, people power and, and the fans really helped power that decision to expand that story and that universe and bring it to many more platforms. And the success of uh, the VR game allowed us to work with, with Kaigen Games to do The Lonely Assassins. And the reception to that has been amazing. People absolutely loved it. Um, and it's a completely different, me it's still a game, but it's a completely different medium. It's a completely different way of telling a story. And it just shows you how well, if it's done with love and, you know, it's done by a team of people who are, you know, all pushing together. It's uh, all, all of these games have been relatively small teams, but punching well above their weight. Um, and, you know, you can make something that, that people really, really respond to. And if, if that's the case with the edge of reality, then who knows if, if the BBC have seen us do three games and, and which each, each successive one, I think the relationship is growing and, and the trust is growing. They've they've allowed us to do stuff on this game that we perhaps wouldn't have been able to do with with the earlier games. And um, there could be, you know, a more there could be more games, a more fruitful relationship, more stuff coming. We, I'm sure Gavin would. I'd love to to work on more Doctor Who stuff um, if that's an option. So, yeah, time will tell. Yeah, it always does. It's uh, yeah. I mean, I, I I would I would just add that I, I may have have said that. They would like to do more stuff, and I think, as Richard said, it's a question of uh, how is this game received, uh, and, and where do we go from here. But certainly, there's, there's lots of ideas kicking around, and um, and ways we could we, we could move it forward. And so, it's not just a another game. Uh, and the the Lonely Assassins seem to do very well. People seem to enjoy that, um, and there are some ideas that we discussed that would be um, yeah, looking at that platform again. So, but. Fingers crossed. So I, I wanted to mention one other thing because I think some people in the comments might get annoyed if I didn't. Gavin, I just need to know, is there any kind of like midpoint cyber conversion thing going on? Because your ears are blinking like out of uh, yeah. Army of Ghosts. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you said that at the end. That sounds really, really... Uh, no, apart from um, uh, recently, everything always works fine with my technology until I have to do something like this <laughs> and the outside world is that and then all of a sudden, it switches to 1974 mode, and it just does nothing. Um, and so these were the only headphones that were working. And there's no. I wish I could say yes, it was a it was a rise of the Cybermen joke, <laughs> but it's just because uh, my technology was a bit rubbish, sadly. But there you go. I, I'm, sh- I'm sure um, you're only saying that because there's a hulking great cyber leader behind the camera. <laughs> nodding. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, can we put some sound effects on and, and treat Gavin's voice for the podcast? Absolutely, we'll see what we can do. Would you like? Would you like an eighties Cyberman, Gavin, or would you like a, a two thousand and six? Yeah, yeah. Give me the Mondas variation. That'd be that'd be lovely. Like, Listen, you know, sing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic rock and roll. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Amazing. Um, thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate, it, especially yeah. kind of later in the day as well. Um, we appreciate you. No taking your time out to, to speak to us about this. Um, yeah. we, we, we can't wait to get our hands on it. So um, thank you for all your, all your work on it. It's lovely to be able to say there's a Doctor Who video game coming, coming out. out. It's yeah, just, yeah. it's awesome. Just the same for us, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's, kind of, it, it's like we said, it's, it's genuine. Everyone that worked on it was really passionate about doing it. And Maze 
it's worth saying, are, are such a lovely company to work for because they really do go that extra mile. There was a lot that they didn't need to do that they did. Uh, and I was talking to some of the, the high-ups on, uh, on Saturday, and they were talking about how much the fans mean to them and their reaction and what they want and how that governs where, where the whole thing goes. Um, so now it's just a question of, of really hoping that people just enjoy it and, and, and yeah, um, and I don't get stoned when I'm in the street. Superb. Fantastic. So buy the game then. That is the, so the, onus the long is on, short of it. Yeah, buy that game. Exactly. The onus is on everybody to go out there and buy that game because otherwise we won't get any other ones. So there we go. If there was ever a reason to pick up the game, then there we go. <laughs> well, thank you ever so much for joining us, guys. That was fantastic. And uh, thank you all at home for listening. And uh, stay tuned because we'll also have an extra video where we play the game and uh, give it a little look. And uh, we'll see you all very soon for that. So thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>